Hello, everybody. Good morning. You are listening to the Power Slam podcast. My name is Brendan Dennis. I say good morning because I am recording this on April 9, the Monday morning after WrestleMania. I wanted to do a quick recap, probably only about a half hour here um, of last night's events at WrestleMania 34 and what a WrestleMania was. Um, you know, in terms of the results, I think I think there's a lot to talk about from a booking perspective, and that's primarily what I'm going to do. I'll touch on match quality and things of that nature very, very slightly, but a lot of this is going to be about what were they thinking in terms of who won, if there's explanations behind why they won and what have you, and going over my predictions from last week, which were generally very off. <laughs> I think I got like one or two of them spot on. Um but other than that, it wasn't wasn't a whole heck of a lot. So we'll go back over that. I would like to do maybe something on NXT TakeOver New Orleans. We'll have to see if I have time to do that. Again, I'm, I kind of have a hectic schedule myself just generally in life. But if I find time to talk about TakeOver New Orleans, I will do that. I thought it was absolutely excellent. I'll give you that here at the beginning. If you haven't watched it and you have the WWE Network, please go back and watch it. You're, you'll be happier watching that than you were WrestleMania. The wrestling at TakeOver New Orleans is off the charts. The matches are absolutely fantastic. And I will tell you that if you watch that ladder match, you will not be disappointed in the least. Um, not only that, but I'm seeing that you know, ratings, star ratings basically for, from reviewers for that Gargano Ciampa match are just off the charts as well. So... Um, go and ch- take those, take a look at those. I would absolutely watch the tag match as well. Um, and the NXT championship match between Aleister Black and Andrade Almas. All of them fantastic. Great work by the TakeOver boys in that pay-per-view. And even the Ember Moon, uh, Shayna Baszler match, which was down on my list of matches to watch. Just because, not because it's the women. I, I just don't, I don't think Ember Moon is a great character. And I don't think Shayna Baszler, I think they're pushing Shayna Baszler much in the way they're pushing Ronda Rousey because she's a former MMAer and they just want her to do well. But she surprised me. She did you know, better than I anticipated. I saw her live actually when TakeOver, I, I do live in the Detroit area, when TakeOver came to Metro Detroit at the beginning of March. And if she was okay, then I think she stepped her game up for TakeOver. Um, so everybody. Do yourself a favor if you have the network and go back and watch TakeOver New Orleans. Uh, you will not be disappointed in the least. It's one of the best pay-per-views. I, I guess we don't even call them pay-per-views anymore, but pay-per-view level events from a wrestling perspective you will ever see. And I have no hesitation saying that. I, I think the four men's matches are off the charts. I think the women's match is also very good. So getting into WrestleMania 34, man, um, where to start? I, I guess we can work sort of like I did with the preview from the earliest match to the latest match and just go that way um, and, and just kind of in sequential order if we can. So let's start off with the men's battle royal and this was pretty much what I expected it to be. The person I expected to win didn't win, although he did some stuff later in the night. But Matt Hardy ends up taking it. There were some chokes I saw some, from some previews basically saying, we hope Mar- Matt Hardy wins just so he could take the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal trophy and just kind of put it on his compound somewhere and maybe have it laying around in some um, filmings from the Hardy compound, which would be kind of humorous. But 
um, you know, Hardy wins, I, I, which is fine, I guess. I mean, I don't know what else they're supposed to do with that. It's not a particularly interesting match ever. There's, it's not like the Royal Rumble in that there's surprises for people who show up. It, it just kind of is what it is. New Japan does something very similar. For those that watch it, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. At Wrestle Kingdom, um, they have the Rambo, which is basically, again, like a battle royal to kick things off on like a pre-show. That one's even more goofy and is kind of fully intended to be goofy um, this year. And they've got like a lot of old stars that are in it. Um, they have some young guys who just can't find their way to the ring for a match. Like, for instance, Yujiro Takahashi, the Japanese member of the Bullet Club, was in it this year because he didn't have a match. Um, you know, so there are a couple guys like that who end up in it. The guy who won this year in New Japan was a gentleman who I believe was suffering from cancer. Um, I think prostate cancer, so that was nice to see him win. But at least that was a feel-good story. Here it's Matt Hardy, who's broken and crazy, and who knows what he's going to do with this statue. Maybe that'll become a storyline over the course of Raw for the next few weeks. I don't know. But it was a match. It happened. It's now over. Moving on to the Women's Battle Royal, a better match than the Men's Battle Royal, or at least it seemed like it was. There were some more storyline purposes and none of the people who I anticipated possibly winning won. I predicted Becky Lynch. She didn't win. Um, I thought that there was a high probability that either Bailey or Sasha Banks was going to win. They didn't win. Instead, it was Naomi, who was the former SmackDown, SmackDown Women's Champion. I can't remember what this gets anybody. Does this get somebody a future title shot? I don't think it does. I think it's just to sort of promo the wrestlers. So, you know, again, congrats to Naomi. There was some storyline stuff that went on between Sasha and uh, Bailey, but you know, besides that, again, just kind of a match to get wrestlers. And, and the women's match, you know, what was sort of frustrating is the men are being used in all these multi-man matches and everything else. There were only four women utilized in WrestleMania that were not, well, I should say, in WrestleMania proper. Those being Alexa Bliss, Nia Jax, Charlotte, and Asuka. So as a result, every other woman on the Raw and SmackDown rosters was available for this match. So you had a lot more high-profile talent from the women's perspective in this match and also individuals who legitimately could t challenge for the title. You didn't really have that in the men's match. So the women's match, to me, was inherently better just because of that. You're starting with a higher floor of star power. And uh, Naomi winning... Who knows, maybe that could propel her back into the title picture against Charlotte. And I'm not going to pretend as though you guys didn't watch this before listening to this, and then I'm hiding spoilers. Charlotte beats Asuka. We'll talk about that in a minute here. Moving on then to the cruiserweight match, Mustafa Ali versus Cedric Alexander. This was kind of a toss-up, but again, this is sort of a 50-50 coin flip, and I yet again got it wrong. I got a lot of these wrong. Uh, Mustafa Ali did not win. Instead, it was Cedric Alexander, who seems to be you know a nice guy, has some great moves. They put on a very good show, had some interesting ring gear, and you know they, they got their time because they were on the pre-show, which is sort of what I liked about it. I, I liked the format this year between the pre-show and the main show. I don't feel as though anybody really got you know kind of taken off of the main show that shouldn't have that should have been there frankly the, the cruiserweight match you can argue should have been on the main show to a to, to a degree but these cruiserweights that we're dealing with here 
are, are not, I mean, these are generally guys from the Indies and who have just sort of come up that way, like Mustafa Ali and Cedric Alexander. We're not dealing this year with Neville and Austin Aries, as we did for WrestleMania 33, who both thought they were really kind of gypped out of a big spot because those individuals are guys who were more established names in the industry. Okay, these are two guys who were probably just thrilled to be at WrestleMania at all, uh, let alone have their own match, you know, singles match with each other. So from that perspective, I think it was absolutely fine to put them on the pre-show. It gave them more time to work, whereas if you're putting them on the main show, I feel as though you're jamming it together, probably watering it down a bit. So for them to have had time to work, you know, put on what they were able to put on, I, I thought that that worked very well. And congrats to Cedric Alexander. Hopefully he'll be able to, you know, really turn that into something on 205 Live. A lot of talent there on 205 Live. And even more guys now like Ricochet that you could bring up at some point from NXT to bolster the division, again, even more and give it even more depth. I mean, there there's a lot, a lot, a lot of talent there at 205 Live. And I almost think as though, I almost think that they need some programming to be on cable just to get it out there. And maybe... You know, if this deal with Fox goes through that's reported, they will put 205 Live and take it off the network and put it on FS1 or something like that. But I think they could use TV because, I, you know, with the network being the way it is, you've got some hardcore wrestling subscribers that subscribe every month. But, you know, the casual fans are never going to watch 205 Live. They're just not because they're not generally going to subscribe to the network, maybe outside of WrestleMania, possibly SummerSlam, Royal Rumble. But for the whole year, they're not going to do it. So they're not really going to actively watch the weekly show. I would like to see those guys get some more exposure because the talent there with the way that things have shifted, again, post Enzo Amore era is just unbelievable. Moving on then to the main show. Uh, I'm trying to think of how this went down. The main show opened up with the Intercontinental match, the triple threat. Uh, Seth Rollins ends up taking it. Again, I was wrong here. Or was I? I'm pretty sure I was wrong. Who did I, who did I have winning the star match? Maybe I had Seth Rollins winning it, actually. Or I had Miz retaining. I might have had Miz retaining. Um, but I was totally fine with Rollins winning. I thought that the match was laid out very well. I thought that all three guys had some energy. I thought that Seth, or excuse me, Finn Balor's touch with the LGBTQ stuff at the beginning was a nice touch. Um, kind of heartwarming to have people up on the stage celebrating him. It was his own individual thing. You know, congrats to WWE for letting him do that, um, which I'm sure was his idea. You know, kind of a neat moment. Um, and they had the ring gear, the rainbow ring gear. And, you know, Rollins winning, I think, was a fine choice. I really, I think any of the three of them winning would have been absolutely fine. I wouldn't, I don't know how you would have been able to um, get them on any one of those superstars having gone over. They've all put in a lot of work recently. They all do very well. Um, so kudos to everybody involved. Um, and I expect big things from Seth Rollins going forward in terms of work rate and in terms of uh, how he goes on promoting the Intercontinental title. The next match after that would have been what? That would have been, was it Charlotte Nasca right after that maybe? Um, for the SmackDown Women's Championship it went really early. I thought it was going to go on later in the show. Asuka's streak gets broken. I think that's a wrong move. I, I really do. I think that Asuka could have gone longer with that streak. 
taking it, taking the title, gone on a big run with the title. Charlotte tries to fight, fight back and get it. You've got others on the SmackDown women's roster trying to do the same, uh, all clawing at Asuka to get that belt. And then finally, it could come to a culmination. If you really wanted to cut it off and it wasn't working, you could do it at SummerSlam. But you know, preferably at next year's WrestleMania, where somebody's finally able to claw the mountain and get it back or climb the mountain, probably being Charlotte. That's sort of a redemption story for her. But to have Asuka lose the streak here to the figure eight, and then not only that, but not kind of, I guess you would say turn heel, but Asuka, Asuka really hasn't really been a heel or a face as far as I'm concerned. At times, she's sort of been a heel back in NXT. But for Asuka not to just be all Asuka and just be mad and you know slam Charlotte into the ring post and do some other things that another Japanese superstar that we'll talk about a little bit later did post-match, I don't think that really made sense either. I think for her to just hug Charlotte and be like, Charlotte was ready for Asuka and just give her a big hug and walk away was strange. I, I really do. I think that was a, kind of a poor way to end an unbelievable winning streak that you, you can't say it was really wasted, I guess, because it happened at WrestleMania to probably the promotion's top woman star. But it just seemed like it wasn't ready to end. It wasn't quite ripe. Sometimes they hang on to things too long. Actually, more often than not, they do. And they don't pull the trigger when they should. This time, they pulled the trigger. I think they were a little trigger happy. It was a hair trigger type move by WWE. They probably shouldn't have done it here. But they did. And now Charlotte moves on to face a number of women's competitors, I'm sure that they'll just sort of cycle around on SmackDown. You could have Asuka come back and beat her. But again, Asuka taking the belt back, I'm not going to say who cares, because I think Asuka's a very good wrestler, and she'll be in the title scene for some time to come. But it's just not the same, so to speak, because now the mystique of the streak is no longer there. So um, I think it was just the wrong way to book it. Would have had her drop the title later on. But it is what it is, and at least it's Charlotte. You know, at least you didn't drop it to Natalia or something. You know, kind of somebody random on the SmackDown roster. It was the woman who's basically been at the top since the women's revolution. The one who is, I guess, arguably, but sort of inarguably, in my own mind, the top-level woman on the roster. And from that perspective, at least it makes sense. So next match after the women's SmackDown women's match was what? The... SmackDown tag team title match, probably. So it was the Usos, uh, champions defending against the New Day and the Bludgeon Brothers. This one I did get correct. It was the Bludgeon Brothers who ended up pulling this out. Not quite the match that I thought the three teams can have with one another. It, it, it Sort of the problem with WrestleMania in general to me, with the way that it's currently laid out, is funny enough, with this WrestleMania, I don't think there was enough outside of the ring action. I think it was almost too confined to the ring itself. There wasn't a lot of, you know, stairs, tomfoolery with the tables, a lot of that kind of stuff. There was some of that, but there wasn't as much as there probably could have been. Um, Again, Bludgeon Brothers win. I'm not convinced. I I don't love the Bludgeon Brothers character. I think that just repackaging Harper as something very similar to what he was in the Wyatt family it's the same thing with Rowan, I guess, but more so Harper because I think he's the more talented of the two and could have a singles career. It's just lazy booking. I think you could take these guys and repackage them. Why Why are you just just totally repackage? Don't make them something similar with the scraggly beard and you know the, the 
old looking dirty clothes and just looks like he's smelly i mean there's no reason to have these guys be those characters when they don't have to be i know you're trying to promote them i guess as big hosses but the bludgeon brothers they look like two guys out of dungeons and dragons who are going to go out and wrestle with their mallets and it's just it's just kind of odd either that or they're those two guys that are on the uh, cuckoo clocks who pop out and they hit the bell you know when it rings at the top of the hour but it's either way it's just not a convincing tag team to me not a convincing character um i thought the match was decent but again it wasn't anything wrestlemania special and the new day's entrance is always always makes for a good laugh i thought that the pancake thing was a little overblown um having you know a group of dwarves basically come out dressed as stacked pancakes tossing pancakes everywhere out of their pancake pouches you know i don't the pancake thing i don't totally get i don't get the new day sort of in general at this point i kind of would like them to break up but i'll tell you members of the wwe universe as long as you keep continue to buy their merchandise they're not breaking up so i'm sure they are still towards the top of merch sales and they're not going to go anywhere as long as their shirts keep selling so whoever bought all those voodios t-shirts just remember that uh going forward if you would like to see some sort of heel turn some sort of breakup with the new day but legend brothers it is um, hopefully it will continue, and we'll have a lot more great tag matches with the Usos in the New Day. Because, and frankly, their matches one-on-one with each other on SmackDown and at pay-per-views have been fantastic. And hopefully we don't lose sight of that, and we'll get more of that in the future. Next match after that would be what at this point? It's got to be a Raw match. Actually, I think it was a Raw match. It was Triple H and Stephanie McMahon versus Ronda Rousey and Kurt Angle. So they pulled the trigger on this one earlier in the show than most anticipated. And the reason that I saw later on in the night and this morning was generally a belief that they did it to get some action on the late cable network sports shows, such as SportsCenter, probably Fox Sports, CBS, some of those shows, and maybe even the late night talk shows. I don't know if they talk about it at all. But that is probably what the end game was there. Put it on earlier in the night so the news, you know, the 11 o'clock news and what have you can cover it. Was a much better match than I anticipated. This one was a pleasant surprise of the night. And the finish was exactly as I called it. Which, again, shouldn't have been shocking to anybody. Uh, Ronda Rousey had Stephanie tap out to the arm bar. About, literally about the exact same moment that she applied it. <laughs> which was interesting. She ends up breaking Stephanie's attempt at the block over her shoulder and then once she applies the arm bar and and drops down on the ground almost instantaneously Stephanie is tapping with her right arm as Ronda had the left arm but this was a much better match I mean the Ronda that Ronda did on Triple H so Triple H for those that don't know had her up in a powerbomb and I'm assuming he was going to powerbomb her and then pedigree or whatever Uh, but she ends up Ronda-ing him as he attempts to powerbomb her and then rolls it over into an armbar on Triple H. That moment was fantastic. And she had been training hard, and she hit the nail on the head with that particular move. It, it's sort of like a figure skater trying to pull off, maybe not triple axle, but some sort of you know, great figure skating move. Okay, You know it's coming, and you watch them do it, and it's just the technical technicality aspect of it, how fluid it is, if they land it correctly, and Ronda would have gotten a perfect score insofar as that Rana conversion into the armbar was confer- concerned. It was great. That was, I think, the most difficult thing she had to do all night. Um, laid some hands on Triple H, which was hilarious. 
Uh, Kurt did well in his limited work. Um, so good, good all around. Um, Kurt also did got an ankle lock on Stephanie, which I think everybody enjoyed. Uh, good match. Again, a pleasant surprise of the night. If you're going to kind of skip through matches on WrestleMania, originally I probably wouldn't have recommended that because I, I'm not a huge MMA Ronda fan. I, I think that her whole aspect of being in the promotion is a bit overblown. I understand why they're doing it, and she does get eyeballs, but to, to me it's I'm not really drawn to it. But I would actually go watch that match. I thought that was an entertaining match. I thought the crowd was generally very invested in it. It was still early in the night, and everybody put on a good show. So take a look at that. Ronda Rousey gets the submission win over Stephanie McMahon. Uh, So Ronda and Kurt beat Triple H and Stephanie. Next match after that, are we still on a raw? I'm trying to think. Are we still on a raw kick, or did we shift over? Was this where Cena Undertaker came in? Yeah, I guess let's go with that. Let's just do... Let's do Cena Undertaker here. And then we'll do the other non-title match being Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon versus Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. This one... I thought the match was a match that you could really only love if you were a Cena-Taker fan. Um... Specifically a Taker fan. That was a tailor-made Taker-Mark match for people that just wanted to see Taker's entrance and get a kick out of him coming back with the CGI lightning heading into the ring and obliterating his cloak and hat, which returned it to him in some sort of mythical form so he could wear it again for his entrance. I mean, it was it was complete Taker-Mark-out city and I understand it from that perspective. I know that these Taker fans, as some of you listeners may be, really, really enjoy him and enjoy his entrance and all that jazz. But to somebody who's not a Taker mark, which I'm not, I, I a Taker fan, I think that Taker's early days, specifically back in the early to mid-90s, leading up through maybe like, 1997, kind of WrestleMania 13 era, were great. And then it went to the ministry, which I think was kind of a strange storyline, if nothing else. And then I think Taker kind of ran off the rails a little bit with the uh, Biker Taker era. I, I think that his matches were still decent, and I think that he could still be a dominating force. And then just after that, he was okay. But then, you know, once the mid 2000s came around, it was over for me with The Undertaker, and it just kind of became a running thing. I think that, you know, there were some good storyline elements, and you could always play storyline elements off of Taker's streak, like the Triple H Sean stuff, where Triple H was trying to one-up Sean and show Sean that he could, you know, beat Taker you know, at WrestleMania, end his streak, it didn't happen. You know, Sean's matches with Undertaker at WrestleMania were always great. But after having watched what we watched last year and really ever specifically ever since the Lesnar match at WrestleMania 30, it's been just awful, specifically with him, because he just can't go. And the limitations were sort of on full display. Now, to WWE's credit, with this match, they cut it down so much. It is such a base sub-three-minute form that you really couldn't pick out Undertaker's flaws because they weren't evident. 
he had gotten they, they had done such a good job of eliminating um, you know any any sort of way that Undertaker's flaws could surface that it made it seem like he hardly had hardly had any because again it was a sub three minute match so from that perspective it was somewhat brilliant on their part if they were going to have Undertaker come back this was probably the only form and fashion in which they could do it but again if you weren't somebody that just absolutely had to have that Undertaker match it really was a match you could have skipped and the lead up to the match was so much longer than the match you had seen it come out do the shtick with Elias um, beat the tar out of Elias head up the ramp looking all disappointed uh, and forlorn and then the next thing you know here comes Taker after the gong hits taking his half hour walk to the ring that again people love that entrance to me it's at this point incredibly overblown and I could have done without it and when I go back to rewatch this pay-per-view which I'm sure I probably will at some point that's what I'm going to skip I may skip the entire second half because as we continue to get deeper into this the quality goes down people it doesn't get any better um, we've already passed the best matches basically maybe save for AJ and Shinsuke but no, we'll talk about them in a second but again not my favorite match I think it easily could have been skipped over Taker Marks must have loved it it got a huge pop I will say that when his gong hit there was a very palpable pop from that New Orleans crowd who expected him to be there and wanted to see him there and they saw him there and they got what they wanted out of it but he's not going to be on television for the foreseeable future or at least I hope he isn't because I've, I've read a couple articles that seem to indicate that there's a chance that he could. Apparently, Michael Cole was making it seem that way in commentary. I did watch the match last night with the volume down a little bit, so maybe I just didn't hear that from Cole. But there seems to be some sort of impetus that he could continue to wrestle here, uh, or at least have some storyline for the next couple of pay-per-views. But that would be crazy to me because Cena for all intents and purposes, is going to be off television for a little while here. And the speculation was that Lesnar was going to be gone, but we'll talk about that in a second, too. So in any event, that's what transpired with Taker and Cena. Taker beats him with a tombstone pile driver in less than three minutes. It was a match. It happened. I've said that a couple times already, but that's how I kind of felt about this one. Again, I could have done without it. We move on. Next match on the card after that would have been the SmackDown non-title tag match with Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens versus Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan. If Sami and Kevin win, they are reinstated to SmackDown. If they lose, they remain fired. This one I sort of called actually as well. I stated that, I, I kind of called it, I may not have called the aftermath, but we'll see. My prediction on this one was that Daniel and Shane end up winning, but then possibly on SmackDown this week, Shane turns around and reinstates Kevin and Sammy anyway, leading to Brian being pissed off and them having some sort of maybe match at the next SmackDown pay-per-view or something along those lines. I'm not sure if that's going to transpire, but Daniel Bryan did get the pin on Sami Zayn as I anticipated, uh, specifically actually not getting the pin, but having him submit to the yes lock after some yes kicks. Um, I think that it was a very fine match. I, there were times where it was kind of cool. I think that Shane's spot where he did, again, he's got to get this Van Terminator spot in like every single pay-per-view now where he goes coast to coast. It's a like Shane staple. 
So once he's not able to do that anymore, he may as well just stop wrestling. He did it in this match, and what made it unique, because he gets up on the turnbuckle, I'm like, somebody's like, Kevin's going to come in and knock him off the turnbuckle or something like that, because he's got Sammy in the tree of woe, but Sammy's the entire length of the ring away, and there's no garbage can in the ring or anything else for Shade to connect with. So how in the world is he actually going to hit this move? And what Sammy did was he basically, with the tree of woe, ended up bending himself sort of forward towards Shane as much as he could. Even then, I was sort of impressed that Shane was able to go coast to coast as far as he did because that was still a pretty healthy length that Shane had to jump in order to hit that double stop. Um, But he went coast to coast, and to his credit, he squarely got Sammy. It wasn't even one of those where, you know, the toes grazed Sammy's chest or something like that. I mean, he pretty squarely hit Sammy with those feet. And that was, to me, the spot in the match. Otherwise, it was sort of like the previous match in that it was more so for individuals who really wanted to see Daniel Bryan return to wrestle, even though the wrestling wasn't all that great. I anticipate that Daniel's going to have significantly better wrestling matches here post-comeback than this. Um, This was more so, I think, kind of dipping the toes in the water, seeing how things are going. And there was a lot of speculation that Bryan was going to be the one to carry the match because of Shane McMahon's diverticulitis and hernia diagnoses from a week or two weeks prior. That wasn't the case at all. As a matter of fact, it was Shane that carried the first part of the match because they did a spot where Daniel took a halluva kick on kind of towards the ramp on the outside of the ring, and he was out for like minutes after that. So it was Shane who was taking, doing all the wrestling and taking the bumps. And that's sort of what took away from the match to a degree. Shane McMahon, as everybody knows, is not a full-time wrestler. He's not really a wrestler in any respect. He has his silly little punches that he hits and then the coast-to-coast that he hits, and otherwise he's just diving off of random stuff, landing on people, and that's the extent of Shane McMahon's moveset. So when you leave a match up to him to kind of carry for a few minutes, that's sort of difficult. But, you know, he, he did what Shane does, and I suppose you can't blame him for that with his limited move set. So, all in all, I mean, it, it was a pretty good match. It was, it, I'm not going to say it was a match. It was fine. It was better than that. But it wasn't a show stealer either. But it would be something to take a look at. If you're going to go through, it's sort of in the mid-level of matches on this pay-per-view. Uh, take a look at it if you have seen the major matches and then you've got some time left over. Again, to kind of see Daniel come back and and have fun in the ring. And he was, you could tell he was having a lot of fun. There's a nice moment with Bree afterwards where he hugged her in the front that, you know, is great because Bree deserves a lot of credit for him coming back. Not just in, Oh, I can't believe, you know, there are some people out there taking the stance. Oh, I can't believe his wife would, you know, do this and angle for him to come back knowing, you know, that they have a young daughter now. And, you know, this could be dangerous for his family or whatever else. It was more so from the stance, you've got to look at it from the stance that Brie fought for her husband to do what he wanted to do. And it wasn't as though she was completely shunning his safety. I, Daniel Bryan was cleared by a number of expert neurologists across the country before he came back. It's not as though he had some hack, you know, in the middle of nowhere, say that he was cleared and that was the only doctor and all these other experts were saying no 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 he's got all these problems the far majority of the doctors 
you know, nationally recognized doctors that Daniel Bryan saw cleared him to compete. So from that perspective, even though he does have a young daughter and he's starting this family, I think Brie was entirely within her right if her husband wanted to do this and this was his goal in life was to get back into the wrestling ring specifically with WWE to support him in that endeavor. So that was a nice moment at the end. Moving on to the next match from that, we would, where we go from there? Let's go to the Raw women's match, which would have been Alexa Bliss and Nia Jax. I talked about this a little bit in the preview last week. I, I don't know. I, I don't see in Nia Jax what WWE, I believe, sees in Nia Jax. I don't think that they booked her as a dominant female wrestler. Maybe that's going to change. But if they're going to change it, they got to change it quickly. And if they don't change it, they've got some real problems here because she is not a dominant female wrestler. She doesn't act like a dominant female wrestler. She is not particularly great on the mic. But, and not only that, but this match probably ran a little too long. I think I stated also last week that I would have liked this to be a quicker match. I did get the end result right. Nia Jax won, but in about 10 minutes. And really, this was probably should have been more like a five or six minute match to me. 10 minutes was a little much. But she got the job done. She hit a big Samoan drop, I believe, off the second row. And that is what did it. And we move on with her as champion. I've heard some rumors that they're going to do a pros program with Nia Jax and Asuka following WrestleMania now, who the now no longer have the undefeated streak Asuka, which, again, now that she no longer has the undefeated streak, sort of takes away some of the mystique there. I suppose keeping her in a title program is good, but I would imagine she's probably going to lose to Nia Jax. That's the problem. So now you have her lose her streak, and now you're going to have her lose or lose additional matches post-streak and, so, and not rehab her, which, again, I just think that this is all a little too quick. I think they should have put the belt on her at WrestleMania, and if you wanted Charlotte to win, to win, it would have meant more to me if Asuka was on the main roster, roster, established her winning streak additionally on the main roster, and then Charlotte would have been able to take the belt away from her. Again, if you wanted to pull the trigger earlier at SummerSlam or later at WrestleMania 35, instead, it looks as though they're going to build to a Charlotte-Rousey match at WrestleMania 35. But, I mean, everybody knows this promotion doesn't long-term plan very well. They tried a long-term plan, and then long-term plans change in you know, the course of about two seconds after they're originally made. So that's one thing that New Japan does infinitely better than WWE, and is one of the reasons that, I, in my eyes, in a lot of ways, is the superior promotion. But you know, I digress. Um, Dijak's the champion. Good for her. Um, I, I think it is, despite the silliness, I think, of the bullying storyline, because... I really don't think there's a place for those types of storylines. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. I guess the fact that she overcame was one thing, but I'll never forget the storyline in 2003 with Triple H and Booker with you know, Triple H saying, you know, guys, boys like you or whatever, don't win these titles. Um, you know, and then Triple H beating him at WrestleMania. I, I think that was the most backwards thing of all time. And it was just absolutely terrible. And Booker never ended up getting his redemption from that. But for them to do kind of, and again, not as egregious, but a similar storyline on body shaming here with Nia Jax, you, you had to have her win. 
because you really can't have them lose, which, again, WWE didn't know 15 years ago. Hopefully they've learned that here. Um, but she ends up being victorious, Nia Jax, and hopefully she can go forward and WWE books her to her strengths, which are her size and her power and her dominance in the ring. Next match, I'm going to go to the... Before I actually go to... I know Nakamura... Or excuse me, Nakamura Styles was before the Bar and Strowman, but I'm going to go with the Bar and Strowman first and have the championship matches last. So, the Bar versus Braun Strowman and Mystery Partner for the Raw Tag, Raw Tag Team Championships. Terrible. Terrible, 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 terrible. There is no sugarcoating this. It was absolutely horrid in every last facet. It shouldn't have happened basically at all, let alone in the form and fashion in which it happened. It was not a good match, and WWE should sort of, in a lot of ways, be kind of ashamed of themselves as as to the way this came out. Nicholas, the boy who was picked out from the crowd to be Braun Strowman's partner, was a plant, unsurprisingly, and I figured this actually the minute that I saw Strowman pick out this kid, he, he was he ends up being the son of a WWE referee who has been around for over 20 years, and how this kind of worked in the plan, I don't know, but I'm assuming that they're trying to figure out what to do with Strowman, and then at the last minute kind of cobbled this together. And there was a lot of specu- speculation about Rey Mysterio, that went back and forth, back and forth. I have a feeling that WWE was probably close on Mysterio. And the reason that we ended up with what we ended up with and not Rey Mysterio was due to Mysterio's bicep injury. That would be my guess. So they had to put something together. Maybe they had Mysterio signed and they were giving it until the last week to see if he could go and he couldn't do it. So they cobbled this together, but it was bad. And now you've done what I said that you really shouldn't do for a couple podcasts leading up to WrestleMania, which was you've had Braun Strowman single-handedly now go in and beat the bar, which some people are going to like. I don't personally like it, especially when this is your best tag team. It's your best tag team on Raw. And now you fed them like cannon fodder to Strowman without any reprieve from you know, another member. So if it was Ellsworth, okay, there was some talk about it being James Ellsworth. Fine. Ellsworth goes out there and does some shenanigans. Maybe he hits somebody with like no chin music or something like that. At least it's a distraction from Strowman. What took place here was basically Braun Strowman, without any distractions, beating two of your best wrestlers on the Raw brand one on two. That's what happened. And you can't do that to your tag team champions. To the best tag team that you have on the brand, it just got single-handedly beaten by one guy. I know you try to establish these guys like Strowman and Lesnar and Reigns as monsters and world beaters. But if the main event of this event taught us anything, which I'll talk about in a few minutes, it's that there is a point in which it becomes overkill. And... WWE with these last two matches, which would have technically been this match and the Reigns-Lesnar match, proved that to a T. And I don't think that that was their intent. But boy, oh boy, did it come off that way, and the crowd let them know it. 
So again, we'll get to Lesnar Reigns in a minute because I want to finish with that debacle. Um, <laughs> but this was not good. I don't know what they're going to do with Braun Strowman and quote Nicholas coming up, but I would imagine that the bar is going to end up getting the tag team championships back here pretty quickly. They may even do it tonight on Raw. And it's probably not going to have anything to do with Braun Strowman wrestling. They're probably going to lose it because Nicholas isn't, you know, an actual wrestler or something like that. And they're going to have to give him up or something. Who knows? But this is not um, an affiliation, that being the tag team championships with Braun Strowman. That's going to last here for very long. It's probably going to get back to the bar at the very, very least at the next Raw branded pay-per-view. But I would think probably within the week, if not today. So we will watch out for that to happen. Moving on to the championship matches, I will go to the SmackDown uh, World Heavyweight Championship match first, that being between the champion AJ Styles and the challenger Shinsuke Nakamura. As you will know if you listen to the prior casts, my major problem with this match heading into the match was the reliance on those promoting the match on the Wrestle Kingdom 10 match between AJ and Shinsuke, I thought there was too much discussion of, oh man, you know, it's a dream match because look what they did in Japan and what have you prior to this one taking place. And again, I think that that ended up hurting this match because all the comparisons, not to say the comparisons for smart fans wouldn't have been to that match regardless, but essentially you made it so that all the comparisons were with that Wrestle Kingdom 10 match. And even the smart fans who may have not forgotten about that match, but may not have looked back on it as, you know, often, were almost forced to by the WWE narrative of, look at this rematch that we're going to get here. This is a rematch. They did it once in Japan. They, they put, it in, put on a classic. They're going to do it here again. And if you do that, this match needed to live up to the hype. It really needed to be better than the prior match. The problem being, it wasn't. The Wrestle Kingdom 10 match, which I thought was a very good match. I didn't think it was necessarily a five-star classic, but I did think it was very good. Was miles better than this match. This match came off flat. At first, I thought it was maybe because I was tired. Because this was the last match that I watched last night before I went to bed. I went to bed at about... I'm in Detroit, so I'm in the Eastern Time Zone. I went to bed at about 1130 so the uh, AJ Shinsuke match was the last one that I saw, and I had not gotten a ton of sleep on Saturday night. So I was thinking to myself, okay, well, maybe it's just my fatigue kicking in, and I'm not giving this match its due, and maybe it's really good, and I'll just need to rewatch it. But you know, I woke up in the morning, I read a couple other reviews, and they seem to have, I mean, I tabbed it after I watched it last night, it's kind of a three-star match. And that's about where I've seen it. I've seen it maybe a little bit higher than that, closer to four stars. But this was not the type of match that I expected these two to have. And talking about, going back to, again, a talking point that I made at the beginning of this review, the, the problem that I had with WrestleMania 34 as a whole was it was almost a general lack of the announcer's table, use of the announcer's tables, anything under the ring, there wasn't a ton of prop use. And prop use isn't always the best thing and can lead to kind of some matches that aren't all that great. But if you're not going to let, if you're WWE and you're not going to let Shinsuke Nakamura and AJ Styles work a really strong style, okay, 
and you're going to take away some V-trigger action and some other hard-hitting moves that are more violent moves that they could have been utilizing on one another, then I think you kind of need to move to the props being the chairs, the, you know, kendo sticks maybe even, or tables and whatever else you've got under the ring. So I think that, that this match, even though it was AJ and Nakamura, and people like to look at it from you know, a pure wrestling point of view, I think this match actually could have used a little bit more there to show, like, hey, I, I'm not... Th- this was a big deal. And if you're going to play, again, off of the prior match story, you know, storyline, make AJ seem like he really, really absolutely has to have this match. Like, I lost to this guy before. I've got to have this match. And give him that fire. And they both worked with a decent amount of energy, but again, this wasn't peak-level energy. Nakamura, for a lot of people, including me in a lot of ways, has been kind of flat on the main roster. And everyone was sort of hoping that this would kind of be his breakout, and I think it just fell a little bit short of that. It was one of the better matches of the night, but, uh, you know, the last few matches that we just discussed, I wasn't particularly thrilled with. And so that doesn't mean necessarily a ton when some of the better matches that you had on the night you know, weren't all that great. Um, so I, this one's kind of hard to judge. I would give it maybe a mild thumbs up. But if you're going to watch a Shinsuke Nakamura, AJ Styles match, go back and watch the Wrestle Kingdom 10 match. It was infinitely better. Maybe it was because we had a heel AJ in Bullet Club in that match that really made it great for me. But, but and Shinsuke was just better in New Japan. He really was. He got to work his complete strong style in New Japan. And he was just more loose, I feel like, there. I think that he's a little more tense with the crowd. And maybe it was the jitters from the 78,000 that were in the Superdome. I don't know. But I think that he held back a little bit, maybe is the best way to put it. And I would hope that AJ and Shinsuke had enough creative freedom to put something together that really would have been memorable. The other thing to mention here is that AJ beat Shinsuke with the Styles Clash, which he hit flush. Uh, It was just one standing Styles Clash. The Wrestle Kingdom 10 match included a Styles Clash, but that was sort of a half-hit Styles Clash where only one of Shinsuke's arms hooked. And then he kind of did it really quickly. AJ, so I think that was, to me, and I don't know if that was even intended, but to me that was sort of how that kind of played off, was, oh, I didn't hit it flush, I didn't hit it full, that's why Shinsuke kicked out. So for AJ to get the full volume Styles Clash here on Nakamura to end the match, I think was kind of telling. And I'm glad that WWE did let him hit that Styles Clash, because on commentary, if you listen to this match, Cole was hyping up the Phenomenal Forearm the entire match. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, he's absolutely finishing this match with the phenomenal forearm. Anyone who's hoping to steal Styles Clash is going to be very, very disappointed because it's not going to happen. He's talking up the forearm like you wouldn't believe. I mean, he was literally saying things like, oh, AJ Styles perfected the forearm in Japan where they can't use punches. It's a disqualification, so you have to use forearms. And this forearm became a real weapon and phenomenal forearm and developed into that. And it's just so great. So it's interesting to listen to commentary from that respect. Turn on the commentary and hear Cole just put over the forearm like there's no tomorrow. Or it wouldn't have been Cole. I'm sorry. It was um, Tom Phillips. So not Cole. I'm sorry. It was SmackDown crew, so it would have been Tom Phillips. But he was really pumping up 
the forearm like it was the, the next it was like it was the next great you know big thing it was like Hulk Hogan's leg drop basically phenomenal, phenomenal forearm so again mild thumbs up if you're going to watch some matches though take a look at that match um, I'll recommend some matches at the end and kind of rank them one through five at least to the five best matches of the night in my opinion then we get to what I have tabbed as the disaster of the night being Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar the vitriol wasn't quite as bad as I thought it was going to be with the two of them coming out. I thought both of them were just going to be massively booed. Reigns got some boos. He actually he got some cheers, too. I mean, he really did. There were individuals in that arena that were happy to see him. Um, same thing kind of with Lesnar. I think Lesnar actually got more boos than cheers because everybody figured he was leaving for UFC. And Dana White was in the crowd, interestingly enough. We'll talk about that in a second. The match starts... Heyman does his usual Heyman shtick, which is great. Match starts. They just start going at each other. Lesnar basically dominated the match. And yet, it, this was another about 10-minute long match. It didn't really have to be 10 minutes. And the entire match was Lesnar generally throwing Reigns around like a ragdoll, except when Reigns was hitting Spears, which didn't seem to matter. So both wrestlers hit each other with a ton of their own, a ton of their finishers to no avail was basically this match. I think Roman Reigns hit Lesnar with at least three spears that I can think of off the top of my head, maybe even four, and a Superman punch. Lesnar hit Reigns with six F5s, count them, six F5s, and I think seven or eight Germans. And this is what I'm talking about when I say that WWE kind of does too much of going over the top with this stuff. Oh, man. You know, these guys are such badasses, and they're going to go out. You won't believe some of the stuff that they can do, and they're so tough, okay? So we're going to have Roman Reigns kick out of five F5s. Five F5s he kicked out of, including one. Now, granted, you can't, there was no pinfall right there, but the fourth one being through the announcing table. There was a fourth one on the announcer's table that I think Lesnar takes him back into the ring, hits a fifth one, and then Reigns kicks out of it. You cannot, not, not, not do that. You had everybody who lost to Brock Lesnar, which includes Braun Strowman, mind you, and Samoa Joe, lose to one F5 when they wrestled Lesnar over the past calendar year. All right. Then you have Roman Reigns kick out of five of them at WrestleMania. You can't do that. It's bad booking. It looks terrible. I mean, it makes Braun Strowman, who I know they've tried to rehab with everything that he's done recently, you know, beating the tag champs basically by himself, great. But it makes him look weak, and it makes the storyline look stupid. It's just terrible. And the crowd let him know that, as they sh absolutely should have. The fact that when he started kicking out of the third F5 and then the fourth, the crowd was just booing like crazy. How dumb do you think these people are? These are your fans. You cannot treat them like idiots. Which to me, this was. Let's see how stupid our fan base is and have one of the top guys, or at least in our opinion, kick out of five finishers of the other top guy who has a dominating finisher that nobody kicks out of. I mean, it'll be just great. It'll be so strong. Oh, is that what's going to happen? Or are people just going to absolutely hate it? and crap all over it, which is what they did. <laughs> so, and then, not only that, but then you, you've got the added 
craziness of, I believe, Lesnar bladed Reigns when he was punching him. So Reigns is laying down after having kicked out of the fifth F5. And then Lesnar starts punching him. And I think Lesnar bladed him. And the blood was just flowing. I mean, it almost looked like ketchup. It was unbelievable how much blood was just emanating and pouring out of Reigns' forehead. It was all over his face and just everywhere, going on his arm, just dripping like a faucet. It was bad. It was one of those blade jobs you just look at and say, oh my gosh, that was not, not, not a good blade job at all. This was not Bret Hart cutting Stone Cold at WrestleMania 13 and it being absolutely masterful. This was a bad blade job that's probably going to require a significant amount of stitches, I would imagine, for Roman. And it just led to the match even looking sillier and wonkier than it already was. But you can't have that disaster in that train wreck go on the last night or last match of the night. One of the only redeeming qualities ended up being that Lesnar won the match. I say redeeming because the fan base ends up giving this huge pop, which I thought was kind of hilarious because everybody in the arena expected Roman to win. So when Roman doesn't win, the fans all pop because Roman didn't win, even though it was sort of crazy and nobody kind of knew what to make of it. So Roman ends up losing the match. And again, what is just one of the more confusing things that I think anybody's ever witnessed, period, because all indications are that Brock Lesnar is going to leave the promotion. Of course, his contract is up, so you'd imagine that they've contracted to extend it. And I saw a rumor earlier today about Lesnar possibly doing a program with Lashley after this, who people, it's, it's generally known, has signed with WWE after his run with Impact for a number of years. But why does Lesnar, if you're going to keep Lesnar around and have him in a program with Lashley, Lashley why does it have to be for the Universal title? I mean, really, why? Have Roman, give the belt to Roman. I've got, here's great booking, okay? Again, it's not even great booking. It's mediocre booking at best, but it's better than what they're doing. Give the belt to Roman. And then have Roman come out the next night and say, look, I did it. I beat the most dominant guy in the company. There's nobody else that's even going to be able to remotely come close to this belt. And, of course, you could have Strowman come out, but have Lashley come out. It was sort of what they did with Rock Austin from WrestleMania 19. If you remember that, Rock comes out, the I think it was the Raw after WrestleMania 19, talks about how he beat Stone Cold, and now there's nobody else for him to beat. Now that he's beat Stone Cold, he's done it all. And then Goldberg comes out. And the whole crowd knew Goldberg was signed and coming out because by then we were in the internet age a little bit. So the rumor had gotten around. And then Rock said something. Rock played it hilariously, saying something to the effect of, why are you going to talk about my accountant, Ira Goldberg? Um, and played it off that way, which was just vintage Rock. But do something like that and have Lashley come out and challenge Reigns. Why do you have to have Lashley in a universal title program with Lesnar if that's what you do? I don't even know that's what they're going to do. It's a rumor. And the rumors haven't really been all that accurate recently, so who really knows? But just nonsensical. If he, is, if he ends up leaving, it's even more nonsensical. So whether he stays is nonsensical, whether he leaves is nonsensical, just bad booking. It's just as egregious, if not more egregious, than... As I commented on a couple weeks ago, New Japan not pulling the trigger on Tetsuya Naito at Wrestle Kingdom 12. Sometimes booking decisions, sometimes the most obvious booking decisions are the best ones. And this was absolutely one of those situations. If you were going to have that match and force it down everybody's throat, then you know what the best move was? To have Reigns win. 
And you know what they didn't do? Have Reigns win. I think they like to be too smart and too... Uh, they're, almost, they're almost too trolly for their own good, WWE sometimes. And this fit the bill. Because this is a jagged pill for everybody to swallow, and I don't know how they're going to dig themselves out of this with the at least the smart element of the WWE universe. And even the, the casual fan is not happy about it. Nobody's happy about it. They've upset every portion of their fan base <laughs> by, by having this result. So congratulations, WWE. I wasn't totally sure that was possible, but you managed just to upset everybody. And unless something crazy here happens, I, I bet you we will see somebody like Lashley debut or somebody come back from injury tonight on Raw. But unless something crazy happens, um, I think that they made a really, really bad booking decision on this one. Moving to, well, the end of this. I mean, that was it. That's WrestleMania 34 for you. I think that it is a show, thumbs in the middle type show. And I'll go over my top five matches right now, actually. Number one, believe it or not, this is going to be crazy. I never would have guessed that this was number one heading into the night. But number one was Kurt Angle and Ronda Rousey versus Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. Just for the sheer entertainment of it, Rousey was a significantly better wrestler than I think anybody could have anticipated in her debut she did very well, which leads me to feel good about her going forward. The Rana is the arm bar, like I said, was picture perfect. And she played her role in the ring very well. And she was kind of infectious. When she came out onto the ramp, you could see that she was genu- genuinely excited to be making her wrestling debut and getting that ring. That was really cool to see. And... She treated it like it was a serious match. You could tell that she had been training for it for some time, and she put a lot of time and effort into it, which when you're an outsider like that coming in from MMA and you're trying to impress that locker room, you've got to do because they are not easily impressed, I'm sure. And hopefully that you know some of them at least were kind of impressed about what Ronda Rousey did last night and have been impressed with her work rate because she had to put a lot of time in the ring and in the gym and at the performance center to put in that performance at WrestleMania 34. So that's number one to be. Number two would have to be the kickoff match, the triple threat with Balor, uh, Rollins, and The Miz. I thought the match was, the match result was good. It was it was kind of difficult for me from the perspective of, you've got the two faces in Rollins and Balor, and besides kind of a competitive fire, there really wasn't that much in the way of storyline between the two of them. I sort of wish that that was pumped up in some form and fashion, so that took a little bit away from the match for me. But the match itself was fantastic. There was really good wrestling on that match. So definitely take a look at that if you're going to come back and replay it. That's one of the top matches. Uh, That is my number two. Number three probably is the SmackDown women's match between Asuka and Charlotte. Again, the problem is I can't really forgive the booking result. If the booking result was Asuka going over and Charlotte was really fighting the Asuka lock or something like that and then eventually submitted to it, I probably would have rated that maybe even number one for the night ahead of the tag match, but it wasn't. Charlotte ends up going over with the figure eight, and that, that basically that's what took away from the match for me was the finish. And not only finish, but the aftermath where Asuka gives her the hug and says, good for you, Charlotte. Yay. That, to me, when somebody breaks your undefeated streak of two-plus years, 
don't you have a little more competitive fire than that? Don't you sort of lose it a little bit and get upset about it? Instead of saying, and not only that, but I think she did a post-match interview that's up on WWE.com where she said she was glad that she lost to Charlotte, which, so to me, I, the, the post-match booking, the booking of the finish and then the post-match booking were not good, and that's what took away from the match, but the actual wrestling is very good. Go back and take a look at that. The entrances were kind of cool for both wrestlers, and... Uh, you know that that was a very neat night. I also think they kind of took away from the moment with the whole Cena referee move, where almost right after the match, you know, they have the hug and stuff. But as Charlotte goes up the ramp, they have the ref run out and run up and talk to Cena, and Cena runs back up the ramp. So that was a little strange. They probably couldn't have given it a few more seconds before they had that happen. It wouldn't have taken that much away from you know, the rest of the show, since we're talking about a five-hour show here. Um, so. That was probably not great, but again, the wrestling was very good to go see that at number three. Number four, yeah, what do I pick here at number four? Um, number four is probably AJ and Shinsuke. Again, sort of like the last match, good wrestling, not great wrestling. I'd say the other one had better wrestling being Asuka Charlotte, but two good wrestlers putting on a good show. I predicted AJ was going to win, actually, which I didn't mention when I talked about the match before. Uh, last week when I did the preview, he did win. But this one was kind of different. If I if I had to switch the two post-match reactions, I would have had Shinsuke and AJ hug and stay as baby faces. And then I would have had Asuka turn and become heel. Instead, we had Asuka do the hug with the face situation, and then we had Shinsuke turn heel, which is fine. Now, recall, for those of you that don't know, actually Hiroshi Tanahashi and I, I believe Kazuchika Okada and Minoru Suzuki were apparently all in the crowd last night. So <laughs> if, if for a second I think it to myself because I saw something saying that Tana at least was in the crowd. I wasn't aware about Okada and Suzuki at the time, but I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, he's going to form some sort of heel stable with Tanahashi, who's going to come over, and they're going to, it's going to be great. You know, the eternal babyface, Hiroshi Tanahashi. But that didn't take place. I thought that would have certainly been interesting, um, but that didn't transpire. But I, I hope that um, you know, Shinsuke can really do some damage with a heel run here, and maybe even form a stable. The fifth match in this litany would... Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Where am I going to go with this? Well, let's see. Let's go kind of in order. SmackDown, SmackDown tag team title match. Eh. Raw women's title match. Eh. U.S. title match. Not particularly good. Raw tag team title match. Garbage. Universal title match. Garbage. Oh, it'll probably have to be um, Shane and Daniel Bryan versus Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. That's going to be the de facto winner. Again, I'm not counting the pre-show matches. The cruiserweight match would probably be in there at number five if you include the pre-show matches. But on the actual WrestleMania card, number five would be Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon defeating Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens to keep them fired. The other, the other I, I didn't mention this before, but the other possible outcome would be that Sami and Kevin show up on Raw. Although I don't know who's going to hire them because you've got a face GM in Kurt Angle. Why Kurt Angle would hire them, I'm not exactly positive. So unless Stephanie, as the commissioner of Raw, steps in to hire them, I don't 
see Kirk doing that, and who knows, maybe we'll see some authority and involvement on Raw that ends up getting them over there. But my original prediction from last week was that Shane was going to reinstate them to SmackDown, turning heel against Daniel, leading to a program with them, which, which still could happen too. But again, just number five for the sheer moment of Daniel Bryan getting to wrestle and the excitement of that. And then Shane McMahon's kind of Van Terminator spot on Sammy. Wasn't a whole lot going on from Sammy and Kevin's perspective in this match. And I really hope that they get to kind of move on and work other programs. If they want to continue to work with Daniel Bryan, now that he can work a full schedule again, that's fine. But just get away from them and Shane. Don't need to continue. Let's not go to the next SmackDown pay-per-view and have more matches involving Shane with Kevin and Sammy. It doesn't need to happen. Let's get them away from each other and onto bigger and better things. So that ends up being the review of WrestleMania 34. It ended up being a little over an hour, which was significantly longer than I thought. I thought it was going to be some quick hits. Had a lot to say, obviously. So if you listen to it and you enjoy it, good for you. Um, I will be back shortly, probably later this week, with some discussion of Raw and SmackDown, hopefully, and the fallout from that. And I'm hoping that we see some more surprises from Raw and SmackDown. I thought that... WrestleMania lacked a little bit in the celebrity appearances. You know, Dana White was there, so who knows what his involvement is. Is he somehow going to be involved in a Brock storyline now that Brock is continuing with the promotion? Yeah, are they going to work Dana in in some sort of is Brock going to UFC angle? That would be interesting. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen, but that would be very interesting if Dana White started working with Vince in that capacity. Um, But, you know, other than Dana White showing up as a celebrity, not a lot of people there who would have been celebrities, not a lot of old stars. I mean, we didn't see any Shawn Michaels involvement, any Rock involvement, although supposedly I heard that they tried any Austin involvement. Uh, you know, any, you know, Foley was in the Snickers commercial, but that wasn't for him. So it, it really lacks some fire in that department. And hopefully, and of course there's Hogan, but hopefully they can turn that around with Raw and SmackDown here over the next couple of days have some interesting returns from injury, potentially, like Samoa Joe, and uh, have some debuts, like potentially Bobby Lashley here, from other promotions. So that is it for now. I am signing off, and we will talk to you soon. Bye.